And now, this week's episode of the Casual Shooters Podcast, your premier podcast for the casual shooter. Your guest this week, shooting a canic in carry optics, standing 5 feet 12 inches tall from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Drew Maruski. Welcome, Drew. Um, it's nice to have you on the show. If you would, take a moment and introduce yourself. How y'all doing? I'm Drew Maruski from Pittsburgh, PA. I'm a USPSA shooter, obviously. Carry Optics Master. I've uh, been doing it for two and a half years now, and just completely enjoy it. Every day you're learning something new. As soon as you think you've got to one top of a mountain, there's just another one waiting for you. You know what I mean? So it's, uh, it's fun. A lot of great people. Like just a great atmosphere and fun thing to it's do. Like, yeah. It's like one Mount Everest behind the next. Yeah, it's that false summit theory. You know what I mean? Like you <laughs> exactly. look up and you think yeah. you're there, and then next thing you know, you're not. So, but yeah, it's uh, it's been a fun ride. It's been a fun ride so far. Okay, and how long did you say you've been doing this? Uh, this is my third season. So okay. I did last year full season, and the year before, and uh. Yeah, it's just every day, like I said, you just learn something new, whether it's going to local matches or majors. Everybody, you know, it's, it's all how you look at it, too, I think. Yeah. All right. First thing I have to do is hit you with all the hard stuff. Love them. Apparently, yep. apparently you've been preparing, though. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> all right. So we're, we're going to – I'm going to throw them at you. Favorite movie? Favorite movie by far, Kingpin. Oh, I Kingpin. just like the laugh. Okay. Yeah, it's just one of those – I mean, I – there's countless movies that are good, but <clears throat> as for one, like if it comes on TV, I just find myself locked into the couch watching it. So, okay, so are you more of a comedy kind of a guy? For the most part, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of one of those like gun guys where if I watch action movies, you kind of pick up on things. And not saying I'm that guy that talks through the movies, but I will say like The Equalizer, that's one of my favorite series. So. If we're talking action a, movies, Equalizer. There's another yeah. one coming out this year. Yeah. Yeah, I love yeah. that. That whole, how you times everything and kind of, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. I like that. It's been a good series, okay. too. Not a lot of series usually can do that. So. Yeah, there's actually a lot of acting in that series. So it's that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it keeps you interested. The plot's good. It's just a good quality yeah. of, of movie. It's like the first John Wick had some acting, and the further you get away from number one, the less acting there is. So, yeah, you almost start going to like keeping the body count. Yeah, I mean, it's like in five minutes, let's do like an over under. How many does he take down? <laughs> so. Right. Okay. All right. Uh, I don't know if you read or not, but favorite book? Uh, my favorite one is Napalm and Silly Putty by George Carlin. Oh, George Carlin. I didn't even know yeah. he had a book out. That dude. He is has a couple out. Yeah, it, they're pretty good. I mean, it's uh, it's kind of his standpoint on a lot of things. I, it's kind of like more, he was like a philosopher than a comedian in a sense. So, but made it funny. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just uh, the one-liners and it. it's really easy to read. I mean, there's other ones are always like The Art of War. Um, and then uh, The Book of Five Rings. I mean, that's another good one to read. Okay. I kind of like stuff like that. Uh, I mean, I read when I can. I actually like a lot of the audio books better because with how much I work, I just kind of let them play on the speaker, and it's kind of cool because you can replay them and 
I really like them, I'll read them. So. so you have a job where you can play it and it doesn't interfere with what you're doing? Yeah, I'm an automotive technician. So okay. music and podcasts are part of my daily life. <laughs> okay. So. You and you and Chris Gelnet ever get together and, and auto tech it up? We do. We do. Every once in a while, he'll send me some pictures of something he gets into and vice versa. And then we kind of have the, what was great, what was not great, you know, what was, uh, what to look out for, kind of that friendly, you know, oh, cool. don't touch that. Or if you are, make sure you give him a price that's worth touching it. <laughs> gotcha. Be careful of oil spills in your garage, that type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That kind yeah. of stuff. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It was, <clears throat> it's funny. I actually met, uh, Chris at Area 5, I believe it was two years ago, we shot on a squad together, and it was cool, because it was one of, like, my first, like, bigger majors, and, like, I was like, all right, I'm pretty good, and then you watch guys like him shoot, and you're like, okay, lots to work on. <laughs> I, but, I got a ways to go. Yeah, but super yeah. cool dude, super cool dude oh, all the way around. yeah, yeah, I totally agree, fun guy, too. All right, favorite superhero or historical figure? I've actually got one for both of those. Uh, for I like superhero, it. I like Wolverine. He okay. was uh, nothing really too fancy about him. You know, he wasn't like a Magneto or a you know Superman or anything, but just the the ability to keep going forward, always healing real fast, and just kind of you know a little stubborn, but you know it seemed like it worked for him. I guess. Yeah. You know? It's all those so. PEDs he takes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Who's and then uh, the famous favorite? person would be Bruce Lee. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Why Bruce Lee? Just because he always preached peace, but he taught, you know, the art of karate. I mean, he taught the the way of being able to discipline yourself. You know, I mean, being aware it sits peacefully in his garden. It's kind of. I like his topic on how he talks about water. You know what I mean? Don't contain mm -hmm. yourself to one thing. Kind of don't keep your mind set to one thing. And it's kind of really, I think it benefits in the USPSA. You know what I mean? If you keep your mind closed-minded, somebody could give you a great tip that you might never think about. You know what I mean? But it's one of those things where just, I just always found him very interesting. You know what I mean? It was did one of those people that went, seemed to go too quick, too. Did he inspire you to take up karate? Yeah, I mean, to a sense, yes. I mean, it was, uh, I did martial arts as a kid and then into high school and stuff. And I think mixed martial arts is very good because it teaches discipline. You know what I mean? It teaches you, like, if you mm -hmm. fight angry, as I always said, you're just going to always lose. You know what I mean? So it's, uh, it, yeah, it, it did have that. I would say so. That and just not wanting to be bullied or picked on in school kind of helped out. <laughs> so... I'm going to guess that your favorite 70s song was Everybody Was Kung Fu Fighting. Mm, yeah. In, cer in certain scenarios, yeah. You'll find me jamming okay. to it. I'm not going to lie. Might throw a kick out there as well. You know what I, mean? on, I like it, yeah. Depending on what kind of work day it's been. You know what I mean? You got to kind of just go with the flood. Yeah, okay. I like it. Oh, that's funny. All right. Now, you, you kind of teased me earlier with this next one which is your favorite gun in caliber. So you said you have a caliber that you've never heard anybody mention. Yeah, well, see, it's a... The caliber is the 6BR Norma or Variant. I don't know oh. if you're familiar with that cartridge at all. So, like, yeah. the 6-Dasher, 6BRA, 6BRX. Yep. It's a 
very small rounds, but it's very, very accurate. Now, if it's a, I said the 6BR Norma, you do that, that's a, it's a very tunable, easy round, great barrel life, uh, 600 yards and in, it's just the way to go. At a thousand yards, it does well too, but you got to be a wind talker. You got to be able to. Got to yeah. be able to read the breeze. The the lighter that projectile gets, the more yeah, the more you need to be able to be on top. Yeah, of that. see, there's the six br Remington, which is like the faster twist, kind of smaller bullets. But then the six br Norma was around the one eighth twist and styles like that. So you could take like a one oh five grain and really push it out there, and it was great because it only took like thirty grains of powder. You know, whereas like a two forty three or a six five Creed more is there, what forty three to forty two, forty six. Yeah. And yeah, it's a lot. So That's the, what I hand load. Yeah, I mean, it's but the the six br Norma is a round that's not typically heard of. You know, I mean, you hear like the six Creed and a lot of other variants like that, but as one that's just super easy to tune, it's just it was fun gun. So like I said the now six br is probably the funnest. You said and, barrel life. What's that? What are we, you said one of the upsides was barrel life. What are you talking, like how many rounds? Oh, easily like 1,500 to 2,000 rounds minimum and like holding like nice small groups. You know I mean, if you if you didn't push the speed on it and you ran a lower node, you, I mean, I ran them into 2,500 rounds before they really started letting the accuracy out. I mean, but okay. It, it all depends on how you run them. I mean, if you run a hotter, you know, you're running a faster speed node, you're going to burn the barrel out quicker. You know, I mean, that's just the nature of the beast. So you take a 300 WSM, and it's going to melt the barrel. You know what I mean? But if you're shooting it out competition-wise, that's what, you know what I mean? If you take it for, like, a hunting round or a groundhog round, that's going to last you season after season after season. Right. Know? Almost a lifetime. Very true. And I like it because yeah. the accuracy window there, I mean, you can kind of just tune up a load and just keep shooting it and shooting it, and you'll never really see, like, it open up or spread or... So are you shooting those in competition? I have. Yeah, long range. I've shot predominantly the 6BR. Uh, I did shoot the 6.5 Creed more because when I, you know, it came out, the 6.5 by 47 Lapua was like the big competition caliber. You know, it was a, the gentleman's caliber, as they said, whereas the 6.5 Creed was kind of the, all right, we'll just let them in and have some fun. And it was kind of fun. You know, I mean, it's, it was. I think it was more of the reloading side. I really enjoyed the... Like tuning the harmonics, you know, I mean, really taking the notes on what distances and stuff like that, and because it was kind of fun. I started with a 243 Winchester, which uh, was fun. But when you start shooting competitions every week with it, you find that the barrel burns out pretty quick, and that you start to work into stuff that's a little bit more, you know, friendly on the budget and wallet, and you know, not making fancy tomato sticks out in the garden every six months. So, yeah, but uh. Yeah, I mean, it was fun. I, I did everything from, like, factory class to light gun, tactical class, F class. I mean, it was just a kind of same thing, like, with USPSA and IDPA. I mean, if you're getting sights on a target and getting to shoot a little bit, you're obviously getting to, you know, you're learning something. I mean, it's always, you got to really be able to know. I mean, a lot of people will go and just figure something out and be like, all right, that works. or But you got to find what works for you and then. I mean, everybody goes with a certain caliber, a certain gun, and it's whatever's the best for you, like I said. Now, do you load 9 mil? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I like to load so, 9 mil. 
so for the audience, how long does it take you to create a nine millimeter load for competition versus a six BR Norma? Uh, almost the same, really. I can really? I mean, really about a hundred rounds because uh the way I do load development, like you can do the ladder test similar to in the long range. You know, you'll find a find your accuracy note on the speed window, but see, speed doesn't always dictate the group. I mean, long range, you could have it where extreme spread <laughs> and SD could just be all over the board, but Hell it's yeah. just putting a nice little clover leaf out there. Now, the same thing with, uh, like with nine millimeter, you want to, you know, you find the lands measurement and I like to go about 30 thousandths back off. because that way you want to be into the feeding of the magazine and everything. I found with Canix, they like round nose bolts the best. They're not really a fan of the truncated or anything like that. So it's like I said, you go with mm. what, you know, runs, um, but I'll do the same thing. I'll do a ladder test, find that speed node, you know, where we're making power factor. And as I'm shooting it through the chrono, I shoot it at a target, at a paster, and just naturally see what it's doing, you know, I mean, grouping-wise. And then if you see something that's printing pretty steady on the feet per second, you know, I mean, you kind of make notes of that, go out there and look at the target, see if it's kind of doing pretty good. If you're getting that kind of good group pattern to it, you know, I mean, you can start playing with the overall seating depth, same as you do in bench rest. Because in bench rest, it was the same way. You'd find your ladder test, find that splat, that you know flat spot between say three tenths, four tenths of a grain. If you could like six br norma, you could go five tenths of a grain window and still be getting a nice flat spot with the speed. So then you just go with the seating depth, try to find what's working for it. Because sometimes a faster speed isn't always what's needed. Same thing like with pistols. A lot of people try to push getting down to like that 126 or you know seeing how low they can get it. Realistically, like a 129 to a 131 is really ideal. You know what I mean? It's uh, also what helps the gun operate. You know what I mean? I've had times where yeah. you try to get it way too low, and guess what? It's starting to half strip the gun. Or, you yeah. know what I mean, it's uh, I think it's like the less time you spend trying to critique the load, and the more time you spend just practicing, it's better. You know what I mean? So it's like, because uh, you can get super in-depth with it. I mean, you can go to where it's, if you're trying different bullets, different stuff like that. I mean, but I've been shooting Everglades and RMR bullets for, well, Everglades predominantly for like the last two years. And I just, like, I use a copper-plated bullet and an FMJ, which a lot of people really don't, I guess, in the carry optics world. A lot of people like a right. powder, you know, but right. um, I just think, like, once you find something that works, just stick with it. I mean, if you find something that your gun likes, that you're shooting well, you just stick with that and then just start putting time in on the range and really honing in the operator. Same thing like in the long range. You'd, you could have a $5,000 setup, but if you've never shot in the wind or if you've never shot in the mirage, you know what I mean? You were kind of putting yourself behind the eight ball in a sense. Yeah, you're kind of lost. You're in the deep end and you you don't even know how to swim. So... <clears throat> Well, and I asked that question because I, I've always felt we've done a little bit of some nine mil loading, but I didn't go through all the steps that I did when I was loading six, five Creed, right. you know, I, I was very particular. I, I don't know how many times I would reweigh a powder charge, you know, mm -hmm. if it wasn't absolutely exact, I dumped it out and I would do it again, mm -hmm. you know, but nine mil i'm like well we got much more room for error so we're doing this we're doing that and then yeah i mean i always do a quick check you know what i mean i'll check the powder drop i'll check make sure everything's doing right you know what i mean the first couple that come out kind of gauge test them and everything like that and then 
know, make sure everything's good because you never know what can happen. I mean, it's, like I said, I don't usually change up the bullets or the powder or anything. So it's more or less of just making sure everything's still running fine and then go from there. But I did a lot of testing with different bullets, like with nine millimeter. And I mean, from truncated bullets to copper plated bullets to FMJs, different style, like truncated round nose. And like I said, once you, you can get into that, like you say, that rabbit hole of like, okay, I'm trying this now and I'm doing this and I'm doing this. Yeah. And then you realize you're couple thousand rounds in you're like i still haven't figured anything out you know, and, yeah yeah you know, then you realize you're like hmm, I, don't think I'll, I don't know how much fun this is gonna be you know what i mean so but that's why i love the canic like that's my gun you know well, i mean and, the, and that's my fifth question how did you get into canic uh really just a friend let me shoot one one day at the range and this was way before even the uspsa days and just the way yeah. the trigger felt and it was a it was a Canic TP9 SFX, the original, and just the way it shot and everything. A little oversprung, but whatever. You know, I mean, a lot of guns have that that little thing that you can tweak. But overall, it ran awesome. I liked the feel of it. And then when I got into USPSA, I mean, I tried the Walther PPQ5. I tried the CZs and stuff, and found a Canic used and bought it, put an SRO on it, and it's been the end of it. <laughs> I have a rival now too, so that's that's been the newer saw, model. I saw but, that in your videos. I'm like, he's running a rival. Oh yeah, yeah. I've been now, running that since last year, so that's been a that's been fun. I said I've got a tungsten guide rod in it, and uh, basically everything that everybody else does, I just kind of tune my trigger a little bit better, and that's my secret. <laughs> okay. So, not now, that the not that the canic trigger is bad by any means, but. I've got it like in that nice quality. It's it, not that it wasn't bad from the factory, but you know when you shoot bench rest and long range rifle, you know you got to have a nice quality like trigger. <laughs> so. Well, and that's to, in a way it's kind of surprising because if you're coming from a bench rest uh, F F class or, mm -hmm. or PRS, I wouldn't expect someone to go with a lower cost gun. And I say lower cost because there's nothing cheap about Canic. Right. But it, it is a, a less expensive gun. And most people, where you're coming from, and mm -hmm. what I used to do, that's not how it works. You know, mm -hmm. you got $10,000 in a gun and a scope, or at least mm -hmm. 5000 you know? Oh, yeah. Easily. Yeah. And it's, yeah but so. yeah, it was, it was the same thing, though. Like, I mean, I. I had tried multiple different ones. The one that I really liked was the Walther PPQ-5, but the, like the way the bottom cut was, you know, I mean, it would always catch on my hands, so I wasn't really a big fan of that. Like, if I had that, the, if you had the Magwell piece on, it was awesome, but when I found the Canic, it was like, all right, cool, I'm just going to work with this, and I said, it's, it's, it, it, it's super easy to tune, too. I mean, I've, I've thrown everything through it from 115s to 147s, as long as it's a round-nosed bullet. It works. Yeah, you know I mean it's uh and I think the the thing with the canic was is that I, when I first got into this, I didn't want to go that super expensive gun route. Meaning like cause even like with scopes, like I had Night Force Bentress, I had Citrons, I put more money into glass than I ever did rifles because the glass is what prints on paper. So it's like the same theory with SROs and stuff like that. Uh Really love how they hold up. Now, I'm not saying I blast them off walls or anything. You know what I mean? But really holds a great zero, holds a great optic. Like the, the optic view of it is awesome. Um, but I also wanted to be where how much 
time can I get on the range? Because I had a lot of friends I shot with or people I knew that had really beautiful guns. And they'd only come out like once a, you know, once a month or once every twice, you know, two weeks. And me, I'm like, well, I got way more money now for primers, bullets, and everything else. And I can go and shoot. And, and the Canic was easy to shoot. I mean, there was no having to really do anything with the stock trigger. When I got my first Canic, the only thing I did on it was that tungsten uh, guide rod and the back strap to give it a little bit more balanced weight. Other than that, I just shot it. I mean, there was really nothing that you needed to change on it. And then when the rival came out, that was awesome. I mean, it was like a whole whole new platform in the sense. You know, different uh, trigger frame was different and slide cuts was just made a lot easier to tune. You know I mean, once you got into like recoil springs and all that fun stuff. And then I've been recently playing with a steel frame, but I'm so close to CO Nats that I'm sticking with what I know and what's confident. No, you know, you can't change anything this close to big matches. You just go with what you know. Right. But and that's a new big steel change. frame is pretty cool. It is pretty cool. I will say that. And as for, yeah, I mean, you got one sitting right there. I mean, for the yeah. price point, right. They're perfect. And, and, the, and the thing is, too. Rival, right behind it. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, like, they're, for the price point, you know, I mean, everybody's, oh, they're cheaper guns, but I, I see nothing really cheap about anything in that new steel frame. Nothing at all. Yeah, I mean, it's a. No, it, it's definitely uh, very tight. That spring is super tight. Mm -hmm. I was just, I finally got it to the range for the first time. And I did have a bunch of stove pipes just because that, that recoil spring is so stiff. So I either need, I've got some uh, plus PMO that I bought mm -hmm. in bulk, like 12, I think it's 1200 rounds for like a hundred bucks. Gotcha. Um, so I'm thinking about going and just running a hundred or 200 rounds do that thing and work that spring, or I may just end up, you know, buying a, another spring altogether and swapping it out. You say you like the, tung the tungsten guide rod? Yeah. I mean, the steel frame, it gives a little bit more weight on the front end, but it, it allows does. you to use like the 1911 style springs and you mm -hmm. can really tune it a lot better to what you want. Like for me, <clears throat> I normally run a 16.5 pound progressive rate spring and you have to trim it down a little bit. And that's, you know, that's everybody's own disclaimer on how you do that. But, um, I like running that because I like a confident lockup. You know I mean, I want it to be like, if I'm not moving or anything, the gun holds, it locks and it stays pretty flat. I mean, for it's, I got a 16.5 pound spring and a, like a seven pound spring in the striker. So, I mean, it'll set off small rifle primers, no problem. But, like I said, I, I've never tried to really tinker with the whole going lower than needed just because I want reliable. You know, I mean, you can learn to grip the gun right. You can learn the recoil pulse. Now, granted, like right. I said, you don't want to overspring to where things flying out of your hands. But, um, right. yeah, I mean, definitely play with it. You know, I mean, it's because uh, once you get it tuned, it shoots really flat. I mean, not... For a polymer gun and like i said once you like the steel frames they they shoot a lot softer you know i mean once you get them tuned because i got the one i have here that i've been playing around with i have a, a 15 pound spring in there with a 6.5 striker and it has a great lockup and so far it's shot off small rifle primers and small pistol and 
I like the weight of it, but I would even say maybe try like the stainless with the steel frame, like a stainless guy rod, because the balance of the steel frame seems almost pretty good right from the factory to where, right. like if you're going to do that tungsten guide rod, maybe add some weight to the back with a, you know, if they do a back strap or something, but Nils did a great job with how they designed that gun and everything. The way the balance is, I think it's pretty good right out of the box. So when you, all right, so actually I don't want to get there yet. So mm -hmm. we'll back up. When did you first shoot a gun? Uh, first time I shot a gun, uh, like 12 or 13. I was a young kid. I had an uncle like, that hunted and I always went out with him and shot. And my dad okay. got me a BB gun when I was 13, which that was an awesome experience. But then. It was cool. Like when I first started learning how to shoot a gun, my uncle would make me carry a broom handle. Like he'd make oh. me walk through the woods. He'd make me carry a broom handle. And he's like, you're going to learn how to hold the gun, muzzle and everything. So the first two times you had to do that. And it was kind of seemed stupid, but it made, made you understand what you're supposed to be doing. Then I got to actually carry a little 22 rifle around. No ammo, nothing like that, but just carry it with me. And that was it. So he and was building finally, muzzle awareness for one. Correct. Yeah. I mean, just really knowing and learning and being able to trust the person you're with and having a respect for what you're doing in a sense. You know what I mean? So it was a, it was a good way to learn, but then, yeah, I mean, shooting shotguns, 22s, all kinds of fun stuff like that. 243 has always had a special place in my heart. You know I mean, that's a, an 87 grain bullet out of a 243 is just delightful. <laughs> <laughs> it's a missile. <laughs> it is. It really is. It's a scud missile. Not so much that change in that, that uh, scope needed. I hope it's a, a little more accurate than a scud missile, though. <laughs> oh Yeah, I mean, if you do it right, it can be. That's where I come back to that good glass. Good glass and good rings makes a big difference. So is that what you use to uh, hunt deer with then? or? I have. I haven't hunted in a long time. As I uh, work more now, I kind of just appreciate like I got a bunch of deer in my backyard and stuff and foxes and that's kind of cool just watching them now. So it's okay. kind of a nice change up, but yeah, I, I always liked a 243, uh, like a 30, 30, if you're going in brush, but 243 was always ideal. And it's always about shot placement. A lot of people like the big 30 cows and stuff, but if you take a nice hundred grain bullet and you place it in the right spot, it's, it'll do its job. You know I mean? it's, Absolutely. Yeah. That's the one thing my uncle always taught me is make it humane. Like if you don't have the shot, you don't have the right to take the shot. You know what I mean, that's a, yeah. it's a good thing to know because you don't want to just be out there just throwing caution to the wind. <laughs> yeah. And it sounds like he taught you right. I mean, he had you carrying a broom handle to then an empty 22 to finally a gun and, and then teaching you when and when not to take a shot. That's awesome. Well, it was great because it taught you like patience. You know what I mean? It made you really, like, understand, like, okay, is this what I want to be doing? Is this how I want? Because you'd have to sit out there. You couldn't move. You know what I mean? You had to just act as if you were going to be doing that. You know what I mean? And it was, like, kind of a mental preparation, I guess, to kind of make you realize, like, what you're doing, what this is about. You know what I mean? Like, like harvesting a deer, not killing a deer. You know what I mean? Like, there's different terminology and mindset for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, how, so you were in rifle first. How did you find rifle competition? What got you into that? 
I actually had a buddy named Tom Dunn that was shooting local matches that they had. Like they had 500 yard groundhog matches and then 100 and 200 yard matches where you'd shoot, you know, 20 targets, 25 targets on each uh, thing. And then they'd push you out to 200 yards. And I started doing that, just going and playing. I'd take my 243 and just shoot off a bipod and a rear bag and thought I was cool until I got there and then watched some of these guys shoot groups and, I was like, okay, I'm really interested in this. And it just, I think it was more of the reloading side. You know I mean, seeing just how good you could get the gun and the cal, you know, the round to shoot. And because there was like the kind of the three states of it, you know what I mean? The round has to be tuned right. The gun has to be tuned right. And then you yourself have to be tuned right. You know? Yes. And I will admit that there were times where I'd watch those bench rest guys where they would just have that big heavy gun where all they're doing is just pushing it back and forth and just, pulling the trigger i'm like that's not really shooting you know what i mean like but then watching <laughs> f-class guys shoot where they're doing 20 round strings just back to back you know no wind changes or anything i was like okay i like that's that's some quality shooting right there you know what i mean yeah that's it was cool though like we did uh we did a lot of local stuff first and then once i started really getting into it we traveled to thunder valley out in ohio and then we go down to west virginia I mean, they they got down as far as you know, North Carolina and down to Georgia. I mean, you can shoot all over you know, for bigger matches, and that was international. It was International Bench Rest Association, and then there was uh, the Global Bench Rest. Those were the two like bigger majors that we would go and shoot for and stuff like that. And it was fun because it was sim- very similar, like how USPSA was, where you know you would travel with a group of people, and then. You know, when you would shoot, you'd have a guy spotting for you and everything and being able to kind of watch. And there was good, good times there. And then after, just after a while, you kind of just move on. You know what I mean? Like it's uh, either, you know, the group you go with starts to, you know, break off their separate ways, either marriage, family, kids, et cetera, work. You know what I mean? Just the primer cost, you know what I mean? The the way it costs to do things. But, you know, I mean, after a while, it's kind of like you play in something for so long. It's like, all right, cool. I did this. You know I mean, had some fun with it, but then we discovered USPSA down at Defense in Depth in West Virginia, and we started going down there on Tuesday nights, and from there it was just like, whatever, long range what? <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? a, uh, pistol's a lot cheaper in comparison. Very true, very true. It can be, yeah. the primers can be a little bit more, but the fun is way... It's, and I, I always tell people, you know, it's like we shoot for like four and a half minutes and then you think about like how much you put into it prior to that four and a half minutes. You're like, Hmm, I'm not going to add that up again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, but, but USPSA is super fun. I mean, there's always matches going on. Like where I live, you can shoot every weekend. I mean, there's different locals going on, like where I belong at greater Pittsburgh. We always have locals going on for IDPA and USPSA and, and it's just, you're always learning something. Like I said, when you think you've got something dialed in, you know what you're doing, all of a sudden you find something new or some new way to do something. And it's fun. It's just that never ending. Like, even if you say you, you know, you grandmaster carry optics or limited, you can switch over to another, another division and shoot something else and go with that. You know what I mean? It's a, it's really fun. And I think the pistol is honestly one of the hardest guns to really master. You know, I mean, like rifles, carbines, shotguns, but like being able to shoot a pistol very efficiently and doing like what we do. I mean, that's uh, people need to give themselves a bigger pat on the back. 
All right. So before we transition completely into pistol, mm-hmm. what is the farthest distance target you've engaged? Uh, one mile. One mile. Okay. Yeah, Thunder Valley Precision. Okay. Yeah, that was a 280 REM, and it was a 280 REM improved. It was actually a friend of mine's, and uh, that's an experience. When you pull the trigger and you hear the bang, and then 5.2 seconds later, you actually either hear the gong or you see a dirt impact. That really gives you a whole new whole new appreciation for things. I mean, it was cool because, like, at 600 yards and 1,000 yards, we could call vapor trails. I mean, I could kind of track your bullet and kind of see what's right. going on, but... Once you get past 1,200 yards, it's you're just kind of watching the wind flag. So what we would do is spotter be right behind you. You send that first one. You automatically reload, get back on target, send another one. Do three shots as fast as you can. Obviously, you know, maintain good sight picture, and mm-hmm. then your spotter reads those three shots within inside the you know, 12 to 12 seconds or so. And that's kind of how you would kind of gauge what was going on because you had to play the flag more than anything. You know, you'd kind of Dial your scope in, read the flags. If you saw the flags drop, hold the same point of aim, send one, see how far the bolt shifts. That way, when you're shooting and you're going to load, you're watching the flag. If the flag's holding steady, send her on. Flag drops off, slowly pull off target. Because a lot of people don't realize, and when I say pull off target, I mean just like that much. You know what I mean? But when people would do that, and when we would do that, we found that getting a better grouping and everything like that was always much better because at one mile it's what 18 moa is it's considered one moa of accuracy at uh one mile for a five shot group so anybody that's holding two feet or better consider yourself a pat on the back i mean that's a right and and people think you know it's like oh it's one mile i can do that and then you actually really see like the physics of everything going on like you actually squeeze the trigger and all of a sudden you're like wait a minute what's going on what's going on what's going on what's going on oh wait there we are you know what i mean like it's a it really gives you a grasp of the difference of what's going on so it's like yeah one mile was the furthest i ever got to shoot and now thunder valley he has elr so i mean you can go out there and shoot 2300 yards and probably even further now i haven't been out there in a while but he was all about going to those extreme long ranges and stuff you know, I mean, making up his own, like, th- the Thunder Hulk and a bunch of different wild rounds off the Chai Tech and stuff. Just, oh, yeah, super cool stuff. You want to see some, wow. some cool shooting go out there. Goodness. But, yeah, predominantly 1,000 yards and 600 yards was my uh, my sweet spot. I liked 600 yards, and then 1,000 yards was really cool because, especially when you're shooting a little 6-millimeter. You know I mean, if you, could, if you could dial that 6-millimeter in and call the wind, you had no problem. I mean, but a lot of guys chose like the 300 WSM and similar rounds like that because it would just muscle to win. Like the 6.5 Creedmoor was another great one. 6.547 Lapua. I mean, there was just, I think it was a lot of the person behind the scope too. At 600, I enjoy a 308 shooting a 175. I was just going to say that. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. 308 at 600 yards. I mean, that's a perfect 168, like you said, or a 172, somewhere in that range. It's just. And the barrel light forever. Same thing. Oh, yeah. Barrel light 10,000 rounds. Yeah, I mean, you could just sit there and just keep throwing them through it, throwing them through it, and nothing wrong. You know what I mean? So it's uh, it's definitely fun. Like, I always, like, if people ask me, you know, I tell them, like, if you're reloading, obviously you can go, like, 6.5 Creedmoor, and there's various other ones, like the 6 Arc that have come out now, and I'm sure mm-hmm. even more. You know what I mean? Like, the 6 ARC. Creed was one. 
that was like the new hot one. You know what I mean? So it was a, but I always tell people, get something that you know you can shoot a lot. You know I mean, so if it's a 308, you know you can get a lot of ammo for it. Learn off of that. You know I mean, I'll shoot the equipment and then work into something that you know is going to either make you a better shooter or give you a better advantage. You know I mean, but just don't buy something because somebody else says so. You know what I mean, kind of, because everybody has their differences. Like for me, I'm not like in the, I don't like the heavy recoil a lot. You know what I mean? So I love those little six BRs and stuff. And like I said, it's just one of those, what allows me to shoot more too. I mean, that's let you have more fun. That's the name of the game, right? It's fun. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the the heavier the recoil, the the shorter your shooting session is going to be. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So I have I a mean, whole I've respect sh- for the guys that had like the Woodstocks, and I they shoot those. I'm like, I'm good. I'll pass. <laughs> I'll take right. your word for it. <laughs> yeah, I've been on that range where I've shot hundreds of rounds through a Barrett. It can uh, at the end of the day, you're like, oh, I'm ready for the day to be over. Oh yeah. I can just imagine. Yeah. I as I said, I'll stand there and spectate, but do that. <laughs> what made you decide to go down to West Virginia and shoot either this IDPA or USPSA match, whichever it was? Uh, just a couple friends just kept kind of bugging me and asking me to go down there and said it was a bunch of fun. And he said just to try it and see what you think. And the one night I was just kind of bored and finally gave in and said all right i'll go and ended up really 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 liking it to the point where i was ordering a shooter's connection belt and stuff and you know kind of like asking people questions but it was so cool because everybody that was there was super cool you know what i mean it wasn't like all oh, new guys here like if you walk in there and say hey i'm the new guy everybody's gonna be like hey cool you know what i mean everybody's gonna try and help you out and make it to where you want to come back not oh that was fun but i don't think i'll ever do that again you know and that really helped. I mean, uh, it was one of those things where it was cool because there was guys like Robert Dunleavy and you know, experienced shooters down there that you could ask those quote unquote silly questions. You know what I mean? But they always really kind of told you, ask the questions, ask the questions. There's no, you know what I mean? And they really made you feel comfortable with it. I kind of just always tried to remember that. You know what I mean? So even if I get like new shooters that squad with us or whatnot, I always try to make it so that they're enjoying themselves. I mean, because everybody, when I got into the sport, did the same thing for me. And I think that's what really drew me to the sport more was that it was just a great group of people. And then just, it was fun to do. You know what I mean? So it was just, uh, started doing that. And then I figured out what practice score was and saw all these closer matches to me within like an hour or less. And I was like, all right, I really like this because with long range rifle, you only have so many places. So it's like, you're driving right. three hours this way, five hours yeah. that way. And, yeah, and, and that's like, also why I said it's expensive because mm-hmm. like I would go to North Carolina to shoot a match, but it'd be a two day match. So I'm having to get a room Friday night, a room mm-hmm. Saturday night. And then it's, you know, the cost of the ammo, which is way more expensive than oh, yeah. pistol. Oh yeah. And, yeah. So it's much more expensive. Yeah. Cause even I, I, I try to like compare it with people and tell them that and they're like, Oh, I can't be. I'm like, no, it really is. Like when you, you shoot a 300 WSM for one match and realize how one pound of powder was less than 100 shots, you're like, hmm, I'm going to change up my, uh, my itinerary here on what we're going to shoot for next season. You know what I mean? Just because those big jugs of powder go pretty quick in the long-range game. You yes, know I mean? it's they a do. Huge night and day difference. Where, like, what? pistols, you use way more primers, obviously, but the powder consumption is just marginal, you know what I mean, compared to rifles and stuff. Like I said, Creed's and... 
the 243s, the WSMs, you could have anywhere from 42 grains of powder up to 58, 60 grains of powder in some of those. So it's like, it really makes you think about, okay, how much do I really want to shoot? How much do I want to do? You know what I mean? What allows you to do? Like you said, when you travel and stuff, you know what I mean? That's one of those things, what allows you the money to do that stuff. I mean, you can have mm-hmm. great setups, great stuff, but if you can't go anywhere to shoot them, it's just kind of like, all right, whatever. You know, so. Yeah, Absolutely. Now, when you, what did you first classify as when you got in? Did you start in carry optics? Uh, originally, like, I played around in limited, like, when I was down at DID and stuff like that. But then I discovered what the dot gun was. And, uh, yeah, I just went right to that. So, I mean, I never actually classified in limited. Like, it shows that I'm an A class, but that's because I'm master class and CO. Okay. But I, uh, I classified at 83%. A class and CO for my first time. And then it's been pushing the envelope ever since. And why do you think you were able to classify, initially classify so high? Steve Anderson. What? Okay. All right. We got to stop right here. (laughs) Did you take a class before you got into shooting the matches seriously or? Uh, No. Like when I first got into it, I would always like Google search uspsa stuff and like his name always popped up with dry fire stuff and then refinement and repetition with the 12 drills mm-hmm. i just worked those not not quite like jb will work them you know what i mean but i got <laughs> to the point where you know it, it, it got me a, a solid a class so i was pretty content with that that was great you yeah, know that worked that's but very it, solid. it was a uh, it was one of those things that helped out uh tamfo timmy was a big help initially he and i were uh colleagues and friends and we kind of knew each other from the shooting world and he helped me out a lot with uh, a lot of the basic things and then i did take a steve anderson class and that was really eye-opening um he really knows how to engage his students you know what i mean like there's a lot of people that obviously will doubt classes and stuff but he knows what he's doing like when it comes to mental management he comes to his classes and stuff he really knows how to engage his students. He knows what to really focus on, what to have them focus on, both mentally and everything. But in the beginning, yeah, he was, and he still is now. I shouldn't say, I mean, he's still a huge, huge part of everything. But um, initially, yeah, I just the 12 steps, 12 drills doing the same thing and just slowly working down a lot of dry fire. I do two a day dry fires. I'll do AM fundamental stuff. I call it the coffee brewing dry fire you know a lot of people stand there watch your coffee brew throw a belt on practice unload starts practice reloads just nothing crazy new part-timers but just kind of working fundamentals almost like the tie your shoot theory like once you do it enough times you're not thinking about it and you're able to start processing and doing other things and then at night time it's a you know work movement transitions work a lot of different starts uh i like doing the scoop draw i can do that pretty well but i also work surrender draws table starts Anything that you would possibly see or have seen, just do it. I mean, that's that's what I think kind of makes dry fire either boring or fun. Because a lot of people, they'll say they do dry fire, but then what are you really doing in dry fire? You know, I mean, are you actually consciously trying to drop par times? Are you consciously seeing what you're supposed to be seeing on targets and stuff like that? You know, there's a there's a big part to it. But I think if you're if you're dry firing, you're definitely helping yourself. For sure. As long as you're dry firing the right things. I want to put that in as a disclaimer. 
All right. So a couple questions then. Mm-hmm. Um, one. So this would be. We'll call this a, a two-parter, even though they're totally separate questions. Mm-hmm. Why? Why did you? How did you find out about the scoop? Why did you go with the scoop? And the other one is, you came from a rifle background. It doesn't sound like speed was an issue with you, though. So why is that? Uh, originally, I found the scoop draw from a good buddy of mine named Mike Ford. Uh, we were I was initially just was like a snatch and grab go kind of guy, but he always saw that I was had the ability just to go and go, okay, cool, I'll try it. Like, I wasn't afraid of making mistakes because mistakes are your best teachers. If you're not trying something, you're not learning something. You know what I mean? And then we figured out that, like, with my holster set up and everything, that the scoop draw just worked for me. And I use it in a lot of different places. Uh, there are times where I still will go with, like, a snatch and grab if I feel it's, you know, need, obviously, like, surrender starts and stuff like that. But uh, Big Mike, he was definitely big influence on that along with a lot of other stuff a lot of help there but that was uh really like the scoop draw i mean it's just uh it was fun to dry fire when i dry fired it seemed to come pretty easy uh, i was always able to maintain time and just i see other people doing it i think it's cool to do if you can't do it don't try it i mean i mean tamfo have tried to work on it with him and he says the same thing just go with your grip and know what you can do and same thing. It's different platforms, different guns. I mean, I feel if maybe if I was shooting like a CZ or a Tamfo, I might not go with the scoop draw just because of trying to get the thumb over and stuff like that. But anything I can use to my advantage, I will. You know, I mean, the scoop draw is a it's a great thing to use, and it helps me out in certain situations. I'm not saying that it's a use it every time, but you know, where you can use it, you can. And as for the speed, well for Isaac. Um, I did a lot of paintball, like the tournament style, like airball and speedball. So uh, the ability to shoot on the move and do stuff like that and have like situational awareness and processing. I always say USPSA is a little easier because the targets aren't shooting back at you. Tournament paintball, right. you know, you're you're at a target, you know, you're at a bunker, and you're trying to you know shoot across the stage, and you got two guys shooting at you, and it's like, all right, well, that's visual processing there. You know I mean? when and it doesn't feel like good that. when it does get you. <laughs> no, collarbones, elbows, fingers, uh, throat. Yeah, those are the places everybody thinks it's like, oh, you know. Oh, I'm telling shot. you. Yeah, like the extremities, like the pinkies, the fingers, the collarbones. Yeah, those are the places you don't want to get, especially. They used to call it bunkering. When a guy would run up, you'd be in your bunker shooting somewhere, and you wouldn't see him, and he'd just run by and just hit you with a rope of paint. And the rule of thumb was to, like, kind of shoot you across the the pod pack, you know what I mean? That way, you know, they would break and you're kind of being courteous, but every once in a while you would catch a couple on that back fat, you know, right there by the kidneys and everything. And it would definitely let you know, it would definitely let you know, but it was, uh, it was cool because a lot of stuff translated over from paintball to, you know what I mean? Like being able to shoot while move and staying low. Um, I really feel that's attributed to helping me with shooting while moving and, some of the positions that I'm able to do and get in and out of. Um, it's, I mean, it really, it's, I try to use as much as I can from that process. I mean, it was, a the speed and everything like that is, is, I think that's what helps me in the USPSA world. I mean, it's being able to just know that I just, just, you know, a lot of people say, Oh, I hear the beep and my brain goes, Bleh. not for me. I'm like a dog chasing the car. I just know what to do. And I'm just going to keep going. Like once the beep goes, 
everything is already done. Like, I'm just there kind of watching everything happen. Like, there's no seeking and searching targets. Like, you should have your stage plans ready to go to where you know what you're going to do on demand. I mean, no, no over-trying or under-trying, as Steve says, type stuff like that. You know what I mean? Well, you're, you're not the first person to have done um, paintball, and the same thing that was said there was, you know, just that whole shooting while moving and all of that. So very interesting. That That kind of explains a little bit as to the speed portion of it because I found getting into USPSA – I wanted to put every bullet in the dead center of every A zone. So it was like, bang, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So that's why, you know, when you classify so high in the A, I'm like, well, he's not having the same issue I had. So, well, that was really, uh, like I said, working the 12 steps and the drills that Steve had. And then I had great coaches along the way. Like Mike Ford, Patches Reader, Campho, all those guys would help me out. And I said, it was just staying dedicated with it. I mean, doing dry fire and being okay with, like, you, you, Jay Beal said it best. And I, I don't remember which podcast it was on, but he said he never had a dumpster, dumpster fire match or stage, which is great because it's kind of my same theory. There's always sugar in the shit. You're always going to find something out of it. So even if you think, oh, well, I had one bad target, you had a great stage. There's always nine. There's always going to be nine million other positives where, if you don't focus on those, are you truly learning? You know what I mean. So it's a, it's the mindset of just keeping focused on what you're trying to achieve in the process. I mean, some people are, you know, they'll put the asterisk next to their name or whatnot, but you got to just keep moving along with it. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. And what are you trying to accomplish? Uh, well, a direct affirmation would be that this whole season has been to, uh, go to carry optics national as a master and come home a grandmaster. I mean, that's realistically, I think overall though, I still want to just become the best that I can. Even if I make grandmaster, still want to push myself because there's always something that can be changed or done. Like I, I belong to Greater Pittsburgh Gun Club, and Bill Drummond's been a great influence as well. He's helped me out with a lot of different things. Just and it's little things that other people would just completely look over, like little inefficiencies of either movements or different things. And he's been a super huge help, and his facility just gives you unparalleled things you can practice and work on. I mean, you've seen the swingers and the sliders and stuff. To where I think that's what really helps to gain the confidence because I don't know. I mean, you see all like the coaches and trainers and instructors and stuff like that. I mean, if people wanted me to do it, I would, um, like I'm not a sponsored shooter or anything like that. I just kind of do this on my own thing. And I, I don't want it to feel like a job. You know what I mean? I want okay. it to be where like I'm going and having fun. I'm still winning. Even if I'm not winning, I'm still learning what I got to, to win next time. You know what I mean? So and, and it's always the best competitor. Like you always got to respect the match, you respect the stages and you respect every person that's there because you don't know what the outcome is going to be. You only know what your outcome is going to be. You know what I mean? So it's uh constantly keep working everything to be better than I was yesterday. You know what I mean? It's a, uh, I mean, there's always somebody practicing. So if you're tired and you want to sit down, somebody's either trying to 
study films or they're working on something, they're going to try and get better than you. I mean, I see it at Greater Pitt a lot. There's a lot of great guys there, Ron Kiesel, Andrew McCall, Tyler Bonner. There's all kinds of, I mean, they're young, youthful, you know what I mean? They're really learning the sport, but they're, you have to have a certain dedication, you know what I mean, to really, I mean, I, I don't know where I'm going with this, but it's like a, you have to be honest with yourself on a lot of things, you know what I mean? Because sometimes, you know, there's three types of people. There's your guy who just likes to go and have fun, and there's somebody who wants to be like the local hot dog that wins, and then there's people that want the world domination. I mean, so you can't have the saying of like, oh, I'm going to go get world domination, but I'm not going to practice or do anything. Right. So are you still dry firing twice every single day? Yep. Okay. Actually, probably as soon as we're done with this, I'll be uh, dry firing. What does your live fire training look like? Live fire, uh, the last couple of weeks, I haven't really been doing as much. I mean, I go and shoot a local and stuff like that, but... Usually I'll try to put at least five to 700 rounds down when I shoot, but it's a very dedicated, focused practice, weak hand, strong hand, uh, various, various different starts. I mean, there's never a, we keep working the same one thing, because if you work one thing too much, you get strong at that, but then other things will fall off. So it's kind of a, work a lot of good fundamentals, um, always trying to push great points. I mean, there's never, like, if you're going to go and practice and you want to go fast and do stupid stuff, great. You know what I mean? But make that like the end of practice. Make it kind of like a fun carnival game. Like, we do what we call, like, a drag. We go the uh, drag race draws. At the end of every practice, you know, if you had kind of practice where you weren't doing as well or, you know, we make practice harder than anything you're ever going to see in a match because then that way the mental makeup is just, I've been here before, this is nothing, just execute. So, but at the end of the practice, we always make it fun, like a drag race draw where we'll, you know, two or three people, we get set up one beep draw, got to hit an alpha. You know what I mean, just keep doing that, make it fun, do something that, you know, makes you leave the range feeling good. You know what I mean, because if you leave and you've shot four or five hundred rounds, you're thinking, oh, all I did was, you know, just bad negative imprints are never going to be good. You know what I mean, so it's like you always got to. Carlos Hathcock always said, give every bullet detail. So when you shoot, like, what was the wind doing? What was the sun doing? What was, you know what I mean? How the rifle reacts. Like, I'm not saying it goes that in depth, but make it to where when you leave, you feel there were some great valid points. You know what I mean? Because like Todd Jarrett says it best. If you're not missing in practice, you're not practicing. You know what I mean? You can't, you can't win in practice, you're going to lose on match day. There's that same kind of theory. Like, you got to be able to know what you can do, what you're confident in, what you still need improvements on. So, like, this close to CO Nats, I'm not trying to do anything, like, super fast or crazy. I'm trying to maintain where I know is where I need to be. You know, and, and there's a lot of little key things. Like, uh, Steve gave me a great point. We actually just, he did a local class, and I went up there and squatted with him and hung out for a little bit. And he's like, think about this. At Carry Optic Nationals, like, there's 50 pieces of steel. He's like, that can be 50 seconds faster or 50 seconds slower. So meaning, like, if you have a makeup on every piece of steel, that can cost you up to one second. So you could be 50 seconds slower, or you could have the possible of being 50 seconds faster. Because if the guy next to you throws a makeup on every one and you don't, that's a big difference on a lot of things. But little things like that, 
I'm just trying to kind of fine tune things. Like I'm not trying to burn myself out before, you know, doing other majors and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, normally I try to put at least 500 rounds down and make it to where it's like a take video, take GoPro video, like go home and actually research that, look at it. And then the people that you have practicing with you, I think are actually uh, very critical. Like if you have people just go, oh yeah, that was great, good job, great, and they're not actually calling you out on your inefficiencies, it might be that they don't know, you know what I mean, or they just don't want to hurt your feelings. But you know, that's the only way you're going to get better is by being able to see your mistakes, your inefficiencies. Like a mistake made once is a mistake. A mistake made twice is a choice. I mean, that's just as simple as that. So it's like a you know, research your video, pick out all the good things that you did, all the things you're confident that you know you're good at. And if there's things that need improvement on, they're improvements. If we could do this game and we could do it as good as like Max Michelle or Christian Seiler, we wouldn't be practicing, right? I mean, we wouldn't be trying to figure it out. So it's like you got to always take the positives of every every win you get, whether it's in practice and a match. You know, I mean, it's a, you always got to be going goal? forward. Do you have a goal for a CO Nets? Uh, I mean, realistically, the master class is my main focus. I mean, I know everybody always says, like, go for the high overall, but one thing Steve's always taught me is when you go to big matches, you focus on your class, your division. So, for me, a lot of master class guys there, I'd like to be on the podium for master class. I figure if that's a realistic goal that if I do my part, I feel can be achieved as long as I execute my techniques and the things that I've worked on. And it's, it's a chess match. This is my first Nationals. I've never actually got to go to a Nationals before. So, uh, But it was cool. Steve uh, did a breakdown of last year's Nationals, like what you would see percentage-wise of targets, steel, such like that. And that's really given me a good help, like in practice, to know, like, I need to work on unloaded starts, or I need to work on X amount percent of targets with no shoots and hard cover and stuff like that. So it's uh, it's little things that, have helped out for sure. Like I'm super excited. Like the fact that I earned the greater Pittsburgh gun clubs, uh, slot for CO Nats was a win to me just in that, uh, in fact, I'm getting the squad with my buddy, Ryan Schneider, who I've gone to a bunch of other majors with, I think is a huge benefit to the mental game. It helps out. You know I mean, cause if there's, there's, there's nerves at every match. I don't care what anybody says. I mean, you can talk to Christian Seiler, Bill Drummond, Steve Anderson, everybody experiences this. You know what I mean? But, being able to make it to where it's this normal feeling, I think does help. You know what I mean? So trying, like I said, naming off all the great things so far, you know what I mean? Like getting the spot, going with my friends, you know what I mean? Like a lot of great things where it's like, there's no like induced stress or anything like that. Like I'm going to have fun. And as long as I do what I have to do, we'll see what happens. You know what I mean? But realistically, I'd like to be, I'd like to be up there with the, you know, the top masters. Cause there's a great stack of grand masters there. You know I mean, and I'd really like to just see where I'm at percentage-wise. And I said, if I do what I need to do, it's a three-day match. You know, it's one of those things where consistency seems to win the match. And at uh, at Buckeye Blast, I actually got to walk around with JB a little bit, and it was super cool because kind of that same mindset of just keep it simple, keep it simple, and just execute it. You know what I mean, nothing crazy, nothing fancy. You know, like shoot a boring match. Like you know, Aaron Eden's won nationals last year great match but nothing crazy exciting nothing super fancy you know crazy kick you know just 
shot his match, did what he had to do. And that's, I think, the biggest goal is just staying mentally focused. You know what I mean? Like, for me, there's a... I've worked on a lot of different things in the mental game. Like, the... Like, people check scores. They do all that stuff, right? Like, at Area 5 last year, uh, the first day, I was doing really good. And then, second day, I just tried to overtry a little bit too hard. And then started getting no shoots and different things like that. And just slowly saw how the mental game really affects your overall performance. I mean, because if you can't stay focused on your goal and what you're there to do, then why are you really there? I mean, like, who spends that much money to go and get mad? Yeah, I mean, you can do that just right. on the driveway. <laughs> Way cheaper. But right. That's one thing I worked on this year was the mental game a lot. Like, really having certain conversations with myself of saying, yes, this is deserved. This is where we should be. Like, you know, if people come up and say, do a great job or this and that, thank you. Like, always accept every compliment you get or anything. You know, when somebody asks you for help, never turn them down because we were all that same person. You know I mean, that's kind of, I like seeing other people achieve because then it makes me achieve. Like it makes me realize that I can kind of look at somebody else and kind of help them and it realize that I did this with myself at one point. I was able to kind of figure it out and it's cool because I'm still learning. Like, dude, I, I would, like, a, a D class here comes up to me and says, oh, I did this with my foot wrong. I'll, I'm going to make notes of it. Like, it's not something that I'm just going to, uh, because if somebody's working on something, trying to get better at it and they see you do that inefficiency or something and they call you out. You might not be worrying about that. You know, you'd be focused on it, but then that might be something that helps you out. And to that other person that gives them a great imprint of like, all right, cool. Like the stuff that I'm doing is helping. You know what I mean? Like, and cause that was when I started, it was the same thing. I mean, I, I would ask silly questions and different things like that. Of, and everybody was super cool. So, and, and I think that that lets you grow as a, a shooter and a competitor. And just as a person really, I think, cause you know, if you can, when you walk up, like I like how when the ROs all see me and they wave and smile, I don't want to be that guy when they walk up and get putting the hat down and doing that. That's not that's not my style. I like. But, now, have you taken Steve's mental management class? Yeah, way back in the day, I took the mental management class. And oh, to anybody okay. that hasn't done the mental management class, highly suggested. It. it is great, yeah. and the thing is that a lot of people are skeptical about it. They really are, but. Once you do it, and as long as you stay to it, it can work for other parts of life other than just like the USPSA world. Because yeah, even with uh, was it with winning in mind from uh, mm -hmm. Lanny Basham? You know what I mean? Yeah. Another great book. Um, but yeah, like th this game, like like once you like learn how to shoot the gun and do half the stuff you need to, it's really the mental game. Like when you get up to a major and you go, oh well, you know, like, it's just another twelve stages. That's it. You know, like when you go to a local, it's just the next six stages of what you're doing. That's it. Like a lot of people kind of get stressed out and freaked out, kind of over try or under try. It, oh, it's a big match. I got to really try and perform. Or like classifiers, right? Classifiers are another great one. Everybody over tries, right? They want to go hero or zero. But in reality, you should shoot what your actual skill set is because then you're giving yourself a realistic goal and baseline of like, okay, am I progressing or was it just a. Mm got lucky one time, you know what I mean? Because I think that happens, because then you go to a, <clears throat> go to a bigger match, and you get kind of humbled, you know what I mean? Because if you're like, oh, I made it into A class or M class, and then all of a sudden you go to like an Area 5, Area 8, you realize where it's like, ooh, you know, I got some work to do, you know what I mean? And that's a, 
it's a big part of it. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. I've never tried, I've never believed in the zero or hero mentality, but I, I'm also, you know, if that's what people want to do, that's their decision. I've always tried totally to right. just shoot my game and it is what it is. Right. Now, and the, be okay CO, with your result. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. The CO Nats matchbook came out today. Have you had a chance to look at it? I got to peek at it briefly when I was on my lunch break earlier. I saw some of the stages looked somewhat intricate. Others looked pretty much streamlined, but, you know, had some nice setups to them. I think it's a good balance so far from what I got to see. I said I haven't got to really peek into them too much. I saw there was a, one stage with a strong hand only. I had to do a reload and all that, so those are kind of my – I like those ones. Um, I think I saw but, two Virginia count. One's a 26-round Virginia count, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, wow, that's a that's a Virginia count stage right there. Might be and see, I like that they're doing uh, like the different stuff like that. You know what I mean where it's like a Virginia count, you know, and then different styles because it really tests different skills that people sometimes don't pay attention to. You know I mean, think about right. it, Virginia count. How many times you've seen somebody at a class fire pop 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 oop, one more on there, sorry. You know what I mean? Like and that's one of the Yeah, you don't want to do that in nationals. <laughs> Yeah, right. that I mean, penalty that's could be a big, big difference. Right, you know, and that's, <clears throat> like I said, I got to look at it kind of briefly, and I, I never really try to go off the matchbook and try and, like, figure out a stage plan or anything like that. What I try to do a lot right. of times is I look at what the starts are. Mm -hmm. you know I mean, so if you know you're getting a lot of unloaded starts or you're getting table right. starts or stuff like that, I really try to work that, you know what I mean, to where it's like, okay, can I, you know, so I can dry fire, like the fundamentals in the morning, I'll go over the matchbook tonight, and if I see where we're going to have table starts, you know, in the morning when I'm waiting for my coffee to brew, I'm just going to have a run, I'm just going to do table starts the whole time while that coffee brews. And that might be eight minutes, ten minutes, but nothing speed-wise, just get good fundamentals, good fundamentals, and just acceptable reps, and make it to where it's becoming normal, because then once you're going to do it under like a, quote unquote speed or a faster time or a part time, you'll set your part time and go, all right, let's set this for 1.5. Okay, cool. And then all of a sudden you hit it and it's, you're still waiting on the beep. And another thing where uh, it's weird, like you work it and the fundamentals, and as long as you're getting the right reps and the acceptable reps, because you're going to make mistakes when you're trying stuff, but you just keep working at getting the right reps. And then, I'd work stuff like that because you can get way too in depth with the matchbook and other stuff. Like, all right, well, I'm going to hit this swinger here. I'm going to try and do this here oh, and yeah. that because you'll get up to the the stage and it's completely different. Yeah, I mean, like yes. we did that for the Michigan sectional, but we were up there walking around a little bit and all of a sudden we started walking stage again. I'm like, wait a minute, these barrels look like they were moved. Well, they hadn't finalized the stages yet. We were just there kind of early. You know what I mean? So it's like, uh, go off what you know is there. Like, know the round count, know the start know the amount mm -hmm. of targets, you know, I mean, know the steal. So that way when you walk up to the stage, you can read the brief, you can know it. And if there's any changes, you kind of already know in your head, like, wait a minute, this was different. This was different from what we had that was sent to us. You know what I mean? And then just go like it with that, because like I said, the, now, like if you look at targets and you see stuff further targets, like steel or stuff like that, you can try and work that in practice, but you should already have been doing it. You know what I mean? Like that should be part of your practice to where now it's just kind of, you look at it and go, all right, cool, I got to do unload starts here. I got to do a table start here. You know, you can kind of see different things 
that you can work on, but don't stress on, if that makes sense. Now, what, yeah. Now, what do you, what do you think then about working accuracy like the last two weeks before nationals? I really try to maintain good match mode. That's one thing Steve always says, like leading up to a match, you really don't be able to be working speed mode on anything. You want to be working what right. you know is consistent, what works. And then even the same thing in live fire, you want to make it to where you're seeing what you need to see. You know what I mean? You don't want to be getting kind of, you know, erratic on steel to where you're throwing makeups on steel. You want to really focus on the good fundamentals there of, you know, really driving good transitions and getting the eyes to the next spot. And, you know, that's, that's where I think the, in the live fire makeup, like I said, working things, you know, you need to work on just to feel more confident. Like a lot of people don't work weak hand or strong hand. You know what I mean? Like in every session that I do, I try to make at least minimum of like 50 rounds for each hand. You know what I mean? So if you're doing strong hand, work that, work them, you know, work a weekend draw, work the weekend reload. You know, after doing a reload and you got to transfer to weekend, watch how many people lose time right there because people think it's all shooting fast. You know what I mean? And granted, yes, everybody shoots fast, but you have to be scoring the points. And there's a lot of places where time can be saved and it's not even the gun shooting. I mean, there's so many places on the starts, on the reloads, where you're doing reloads, how well is your stage plan burned into your head to where you're not seeking and searching for stuff. You know, there's a lot of different things in the mental makeup. Like the shooting part's kind of easy to a degree. You know what I mean? It's being able to know. Because, I mean, you know, people are like, oh, it's a memory stage. I think every stage kind of has a bit of memory to it, if we can agree. You know what I mean? So it's like a, yeah, knowing what you need to know and being able to execute what you know you can do. You know what I mean? Because when you get to a match and you start trying things or doing things or practicing things, it's not really the place to do it. Like when you get there, it's just execute what you know you're able to do. If there's a stage where you feel a little more confident, okay, throttle up a little bit, but don't let the wheels fall. Right. You know I mean, if there's a stage where you don't feel super confident, you know what I mean? Maintain, get your points and move on. And that's been said by many greats. You know what I mean? And, and that's... That's something that works. And a lot of people have that problem, right? Of just get the points and move on. Everybody wants to try and do it the best they can, win that stage. But in reality, you know, it's a it's maintaining the consistency. You know what I mean? And being able to just know I can do that on demand every time. You know what I mean? And I think that's what helps a lot, you know, and and just knowing realistically, like like going to CO Nats, this is my first time. So I, it's already a win. Whatever happens, it's gonna be a great experience. Have a great time. There's gonna be great people there, vendors. All in all, it's already a win. Everything else after that is a bonus. I mean, and that's the best way I think to kind of approach things because you're not putting any stress on yourself. You know, I mean, it's just a to show up, do like I normally do. These are the next 21 stages, and I just do what I got to do. You know, I mean, and if the best competitor isn't me that day, I will be as humble and defeat as I would in victory. Still congratulate everybody and tell them they did a great job, and I'll see you at the next one. You know what I mean? Because that's how you got to look at it. Because I think if you don't go at it with a positive mindset, then after a while you can almost become stalemate and be like, okay, well, I'm good in A or I'm good in B class or I'm good in A class or whatever it is. But then you always have to be willing to push yourself to figure out, is there more there? What can I work on? What can I do? You know I mean? But leading up to Nats, it's just – Stay focused. Don't try and burn myself out. Like dry fire at night, 
I'll do 25 to 30 minutes minimum. I'll do what I need to. Um, like I said, if it's been a long work week, I still try to maintain dry fire, but like I said, there's nights where everybody doesn't want to feel like it, but then that's where the mental part comes in, right? Like if you're tired, it's been a long day, I'm not going to do it tonight. Well, there's somebody down the street over one state over that they're just as tired as you are and they're dry firing. You know I mean, like for every local I've gone to, right, whether it's been rain, shine, or anything, my mindset has been this is day three of CO Nats. So whether it's been rainy, cold, hot, sunny, the mindset is we're showing up and we're going to perform regardless of what happens. You know, and that's now, it. It's a big you, help. I assume that it's far enough away that you're not driving there each day. No, 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 no. No, okay, we're going so to stay. Are you going to dry fire each night? little bit. Um, I find it if I need to, if it helps gain confidence, whether it's be with a start or something like that, um, I will. I mean, like I, I, I will maintain the 20 minutes or so. Uh, really don't want to get too crazy into it. You know what I mean, it's just uh, like when you're there, if there's something on stage you're seeing, you feel like you might want to work or just make it more more acceptable in your head, you know what I mean, or have a little bit more confidence in it, then I'm all for that. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I will, to say I won't dry fire is, would be a lie because I do because when you're sitting there in the hotel, I mean, I, I'm going with other people. So, like, when we went to Buckeye Blast, it was cool because uh, Tyler Bonner and I shared a room and we had an unloaded start there and we were doing dry fire and just it was cool how we were able to get things down and help him get his, his numbers down. And then he gave me one of the best tips of all. He said, I don't do anything. I don't move my feet until the hand and the mag have met. You know I mean, he says when the gun and the mag meet, everything else is rudimentary, right? Rack the slide, go, bring your dot up, step in, whatever. One of the best tips I got was from him on that because now that's been one of the things I've worked is, okay, just get the mag to the gun and then step and go. Let everything else happen naturally. And it's... Little things like that. Like, so, yeah, if you don't dry fire, you might never pick up on little tips that help you out. And like I said, it's it's beneficial. Like, if you're feeling nervous or if you're feeling anxious or something, I've been to other big majors where, yeah, I've dry fired a lot. But can it be beneficial? Yes. Can it be hindering? Sure. I mean, if you've been had a long day out in the sun and you're tired, there's no reason to push yourself, save your energy for the second day, third day, you know, I mean, whatever you're doing. I mean, analyze your video, analyze your stages, see what you have to do, but just maintain your focus of why you're there. Now, so that means you went to Buckeye Blast. You've shot at the range where Nationals is being held. Mm -hmm. Do you think that was a big help for you, too, knowing that yes. what the layout's going to be? Yeah, it was uh, It was good to get there. I had only seen video prior to it, and uh it was, I did a lot of research on the place once I was there, like what the footing's like, what's the attraction like on the stages, size of the stages, I mean, where everything's kind of at and everything like that. Kind of, I, I, I nerd out a little bit by getting like distances of the bays and stuff and then was able to watch other shooters. I got to watch Tom Castro shoot on his final day right before we shot a little bit and then got to watch Jay Beal and others shoot, uh, you know, the day we were done and it definitely helped. It gave a good baseline of what to expect. Um, there's not a lot of shade there, so bring sunblock. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Definitely stay hydrated. Hoist, definitely a great thing to have for that. Um, but, yeah, it was definitely uh, it was good to go. I think if 
it gives a better mindset of knowing what to approach, you know, how to get there, you know, the surrounding areas, the hotels, you know what I mean? So it's, you're not going into it completely blind. So you kind of feel comfortable knowing where everything's at. And, and everybody, oh, the staff and everybody there was super cool. Everything was ran really well. Um, and I'm just really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a great time. I'm just excited to see because I'm actually shooting opposite of all the super squads. And I kind of took your theory on this because then I can kind of watch mm. them video and yeah. do stuff like that. And it's kind of because you really got to do that. You got to kind of pick up one. Th- you can pick up one thing from every different shooter and really make it your own if you want. You know, I mean, you can't really imposter one style. You know, I mean, if you want to try and be a Rikaza or a, you know, Neil or something, you know, there's only certain things you can pick up from each person to try and make your own. You know, I mean, and, and that's really good because it's a, if I can get the same stages that I shot that they shot, it gives you like a really good comparison of where improvements have been made, where they can still be made, stuff like that. And it's, it's just, it's just fun to be around the atmosphere. I mean, it's cool where like the top race car drivers are the same guys you can hang out with and shoot with. And you know I mean, they're just, everybody's normal people, man. It's cool. Right. You know, I will say there's one thing that I really walked away from last year's nationals with. And there was one stage, it was a stage where it was a visual activation. And the one thing I learned was now, and I caught myself when the matchbook came out today, I looked at a few stages and a couple of them were at middle of the stage start. Mm -hmm. And what I learned was it really, I didn't even realize I was doing this today until we started talking and the one thing I picked up on was immediately I was like, okay, what's going to be the best way here? Should I run all the way left, run all the way right? And it's, I'm not saying to engage the targets in a certain direction, but right. with that visual cue start, only two people on the men's super squad went left. Everybody else went right. I went right. right. It wasn't until I saw the super squad shoot and I saw Max and JJ go left Mm-hmm. And go run all the way left and then have to double all the way back and shoot all the targets. I never would have thought that was the better way to do it. Right. But after seeing those two guys, now it's like every time I see a middle of the stage start, I'm like, okay, no assumptions. Right. What can you, you know, what can you do going all the way left or all the way right? So automatically in my head, I was thinking, you know, go all the way left, go all the way right, and then see what the flow is going back. Mm-hmm. So uh, that is the one thing that stuck out in my mind last year because it was uh, only Nils who went right made it under, I'm going to say it was 19 seconds. But Yeah, it's because you can cover 10 feet with a stride. <laughs> right. But Max and JJ both were under going the other way. Right. And I'm like, okay, you can say, you know, they're both quick. Right, right. Like all those guys on the super squad are quick. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, there's no slow pokes there. Yeah, I say so, you're, you're, you're separating it by tenths, so hundreds of that much. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, okay, man, I, I that is the one thing now. And it was interesting that looking at the matchbook, I'm like, all right, that's a middle of the start. I wonder what would be the best flow, you know, so it really got me thinking now. Oh yeah, I mean that, that's it's always good. And I always, it's always good to to squad with other divisions and other shooters. Like Rich Alloway and I shoot a lot together, and he's a single stack 
phenom. You know what I mean? So you'll watch him walk a stage and look at things, and he'll pick up things that me shooting carry optics or like Patches Reader shooting open gun or Mike Ford. We all look at the stage differently. You know what I mean? Where if you are able to squad with other people, you can see where it's like, oh, I never would have thought to do that. You know what I mean? Like what you're talking about, the same thing. Like, I would have never thought to take that target way down here instead of over here. And that's why I say it's always good to have an open mind because you might see something and think, oh, that looks good. But then if somebody else sees something that is beneficial, then it's like, all right, because it's a always go with what's confident. You know what I mean? If you know, because if there's something that you're not confident doing it, you're going to be thinking about while you're doing it. You know what I mean? And that's where you're making great notes for dry fire. If there's a stage where you come up to and you weren't confident moving backwards, or you weren't moving on like a retreat with the gun out, well, you now know what to practice at home and dry fire. You know what I mean? Any little inefficiencies that you have on a stage are just the answers to the final test. You know what I mean? That's where I think a lot of people will get frustrated and they'll look at it. Like I watch a lot of like what they say are the quote unquote bad stages where they not as efficient. You're always going to learn from that. You know what I mean? Where it's like, okay, was it the foot position that was out or was it just the wrong stage plan altogether? Was it just uh, trying something that I knew wasn't going to be, you know, confident in what I expected. Um, and it, it's good to do that. Like I said, because if you, like you said, if you look at the stage just one way, Okay, that's that's one way of doing it. But if you look at it from multiple angles, look at it from the back of the bay. You know, I mean, you might see something where you're like, you know what, I'm just gonna do that because there's sometimes where if you find something, it's like me. I love shooting while moving, and if I can shoot while move, I can do it aggressively, especially like backing up and stuff like that. I can cover a lot of ground shooting targets because you don't have to be shooting fast. You know, what I mean, but you want to be shooting accurate, and that's where if I know there's a stage where I can blend and move like that it's going to be confidence for me. But if there's a stage where you got further distance targets or stuff that you know is something you're still working on to improve on, you maintain focus, confidence on what you know you can do. If you're a little bit slower, but you still get out of there with great points, you know, the day's not over. I mean, it's just a, but then you know what to work on. You know, if you go to a stage and you're like, all right, well, those 25 yard poppers, they really were just kind of kicking my ass. Well, uh, you know what to practice on live fire. You know what I mean? Like you go back to the range and, you know, Christian Seiler said he's done, what, 50-yard mini poppers. I can imagine mm-hmm. that dude looks at a big popper at, what, 30 feet, and he's probably like, I could, you know. And shooting so That's on what I'm saying. It's just, right. You know I mean, yeah. just gaining the confidence, I think, is because confidence is something you can't just, like, muster up. You know what I mean? Like, you have to know, like, I'm just going to do this. You know what I mean? But then you can kind of, like, over – react in the sense like you can walk up to stage and be like i'm gonna burn this down i'm gonna burn this down but then you can actually be amplifying yourself too much instead of saying we have this stage we know we're good let's focus on the smaller details to make sure that this is going to be a great stage you know what i mean because if you walk up and you don't pay respect to the targets or whatever it is it's going to be epic fail sometimes you know what i mean like i, yeah. I tell marva what was it uh i think it was last year it was like one of the last stages i was feeling really good was shooting really well and then I went to move out of a spot, and my foot got caught on the fault line, and I just did the Superman all the way down, but managed to keep the gun in the hand and got back up and kept going. And It's crazy because it's it's one of those things where you learn from it, though. You know what I mean? Because it was like, like I didn't get mad or anything like that. I kept going, you know what I mean? But it just lets you know that, like, not every day is going to be a smooth day. 
You know, I mean, you're going to have the days where stuff happens. You're going to go to a major and you might not shoot the best. But you know what? You're going to come home and learn what you need to. And then when you go to the next one, you improve and get better. You know, and that's the, I think that's the name of the game of why I like doing this because, I mean, you can see how it's, there's so many great competitors in every division. So it's not like there's just one division where it's like, okay, well, I'll go here and I'll do fine. You, know, you can go into every division and have fun and learn how to master everything. So it's. Now you just shot the mid Atlantic. Did you not? Pardon me? Did you just shoot the mid Atlantic? No, I didn't. I actually, uh, okay. I kept like a single focus. I did Buckeye blast. Um, we did do the Michigan sectional, but then I just decided to just stay focused on CO Nats because I, I did that last year where we shot, I think 15 majors. I mean, everything from like Kentucky state match to up in Michigan to just, I mean, they were all great matches. They were all fun, great experience. But by the end of the season, it's like, man, I'm, I'm ready for a break. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like, I, hmm. I really wanted to make it that I was like, super excited about CO Nats. I didn't want to be trying to stress with doing other matches and stuff. And, but they look like great matches, like area fives happening this weekend. And, Right. And like I said, there's always great matches happening, but I wanted to keep it just a, a singular focus. I mean, Buckeye Blast for okay. that, and then come home, kind of know what I need to work on, see what I can improve on, I mean, in a short time. And then so we'll right. see what happens. Though. I know Western PA sectional is going to be a fun one. We're going to, uh, we're going to make that. That's going to have that slider swinger target and the roller coaster steel and all that fun. So it's gonna Oh, be, wow. Yeah, it's okay. A, I don't want to really elaborate, but I know it's going to be a, a Bill Drummond Epic. special. He's going to make it. He's going to make it awesome. So, all yeah. right. Well, you mentioned Jay a couple of times, so I'm going to hit you with the Jay Bill special. What's mm -hmm. your make ready look like? Uh, my make ready is normally I do a couple draws, uh, nothing super fast. I want to kind of ensure that I'm getting the grip I need. Um, I take my target picture on every target that I can to make sure that my dot brightness is where it needs to be at. Uh, I go through the visualization in my head because with every target I see and that dot goes on there, that's what I want to see after that beep goes off. So like, it doesn't look weird, right? So if I'm here, that's what it should look like there. And then I'll do a, usually I'll, I'll practice the reload if I need to, if it's something I feel just to kind of get a smooth there. Normal make rate, I'm, Probably like 30 seconds, I guess. I'm not one. But the thing is, I tell okay. myself, you get up there and you shoot for 20 seconds, 30 seconds sometimes, right? Nobody cares. Like, nobody's standing behind you watching you. Nobody cares what you're doing. There might be a guy videoing for you other than that. Take your time. Relax. Breathe a little bit. Like, when I get ready, I holster the gun back up. I do a breathing technique where I just inhale and breathe through my nose. Just kind of just think about what you're doing. Visualize your stage. Let everything else clear out of your head. Nobody's watching you. It's just you. And then... Take your hand off the gun, and as soon as the beep goes off, just just do what you got to do. You know what I mean? And that's the – a lot of people, they just want to get up there, and they'll just, you know, make a quick ready, and they get real panicky or tense. I, I found that if you have a lot of tension when you get to the line, it's not going to help you. You know what I mean? You want to be relaxed. You want to know what your stage plan is. You want to know exactly what you're doing, where you need to be doing. And if you're not – if you don't have that, then that's what you need to work on. I mean, that's kind of like part of that mental game stuff where – you have to know every part of your stage. Like if you want to see every part of that target, you want to see that you should be able to replay your stages in your head after you're done. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's one of those things where replaying that stage 
enough times to where you know everything's there, it's it makes it a lot easier. You know, I mean, there's a and watching people that shoot before you can be a super tough thing too. You know, I mean, so like Steve always says, like if you're getting the hole or you're getting you know in the, you know you're kind of the next guy up, don't watch the guy in front of you shoot. Like you just close your eyes, you focus on your targets, what you're going to do, your execution, your cadence, whatever it is, you focus on that because you watch somebody else shoot that's a super squad guy or open gun or PCC, all of a sudden it's going to be like, oh, I can do that. I can no, just, you shoot your match, you know what I mean? Because that's a, it's different disciplines, you know what I mean? So, and that's the thing where you can't get caught up in the numbers either. You'll see guys, oh, they did this, they did that, they did that. Great. Awesome. I'm happy for them. You know what I mean? Uh, But I'm going to still do what I have to do. You know, and that's for, like at Buckeye, I felt, I didn't shoot conservative. I shot consistent. Um, I was there really trying to analyze everything, kind of observe things, see, you know, other shooters and stuff like that. Uh, It was, met all my expectations that I really wanted to do. I always, you know, it's a, Leaving there, I felt super confident with everything, all the notes I had. And that's one thing Steve talks about is doing a journal on everything. And it's weird. If you don't do that journal, you don't remember stuff. You know what I mean? Like, he talks about, like, what you think and what you speak and what you write down is what you're going to get. You know what I mean? That's where everybody talks about the no-shoot or this and that. Yeah, you keep talking about the no-shoot, and inevitably, you're going to be okay with hitting the no-shoot. You know what I mean? Yeah. But there's different little focuses to where... I, I think that's a lot of things that can help people is just being confident saying, I'm putting my dot there. I'm putting my dot there. I'm doing, you know what I mean? Like, and yeah, I mean, the make ready is very critical. You know what I mean? There's a lot of people that think it's just something that's, mm, yeah, I'm just going to get up there and do this or, Oh, I don't want to rush wrong. I, mean, I don't want to hold other people up. Or if there's another squad that comes over there and they're waiting on you, who cares? Shoot. If you're the last guy on that squad and it's your turn to shoot, don't think you got to rush. Nobody cares. I don't know where I was going to stand there. There's, I don't remember there being any rule in the RO book about make ready. I know people can get kind of gripey about, you know, if you take too long. But, I mean, if you're in that 30 second to 45 second, I mean, cool, whatever. You know what I mean, it, it, we all pay the same amount. We do the same thing. You know what I mean, enjoy yourself. You know what I mean, that's the thing where don't be tense. Don't be nervous. Try to relax. Just, you know, I always try to tell new shooters that too, like, Dude, take a couple draws, man. Relax. You know what I mean? Kind of swing your gun along a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, make yourself enjoy the game. You know what I mean? Like, if you're sitting there going, oh, I'm tense or I'm holding people up, then why are you doing it? This is not a good imprint to do. You know what I mean? So, the make ready, yeah, it's definitely a build the confidence. Know your gun's good. You know what I mean? Just as soon as that beep goes off, execute. You know what I mean? And, and, yeah, I try and to be happy with whatever minutes. the result is. You know what I mean? Because there's sometimes where you might think, oh, I didn't do as well on this, but then there's five guys behind you that would switch your stage results with theirs in a heartbeat. You know what I mean? So it's always always be just knowing that there's positives in everything. All right, so who's your favorite basketball player? Ooh, that's tough. <clears throat> uh, that's probably going to come down to between either MJ or Kobe. Okay. Um, Kobe, I loved him for the Mamba mentality. Uh, he was one of those dudes where if he missed that final shot, he didn't go home and, you know, take a week off on vacation. He'd go and practice and figure out what he had to do to become better. Michael Jordan was just, I liked him because he was always claimed as the goat, but 
never heard that dude say he was the goat. Like he always would say, like you know, Chamberlain, the guys before him. Those like he never got the chance to play the greats before him. So how can you really say who was the goat? You know what I mean? And and it's crazy because like I don't follow basketball as much anymore. And but yeah, like Kobe. For the newer generation, yeah, but, like, Michael Jordan, man, I mean, he had some beasts. He had Larry Bird. He had a lot, like, Magic Johnson, Charles Bart. I mean, there were a lot of stout stout guys back then. I'm not saying that Kobe didn't, because when Kobe came into the league, he was still taking on some of them, too. So, it's uh, mm-hmm. I, I think it's a uh, – I like Kobe because the dude just genuinely liked – being that just the best at whatever he was doing. I mean, he's even talked about like you got to dance inside the box you're given. You know what I mean? And that's like he wanted to be the best that he could at basketball, and that's what he did. He was like, I'm just gonna do whatever I have to. And that's I don't often think that's like athletic ability as much as a mindset. You know what I mean? Like you have to be okay with like you made a mistake, but you will learn from it. You know what I mean? And that's the huge thing. Yeah, and and I think the mindset is a whole thing that differentiates players and the talk of goat. That's mm-hmm. why I don't think LeBron could ever be in the conversation for goat. He's a physical specimen, but his oh, yeah. mindset sucks. You know? Uh, yeah. I it's not a good put, team player. It's not a good, like, it's not a good, like person to kind of build off of. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, like Michael Jordan was always a guy where he pushed everybody to be better. Like when there, when there were games that they lost, he wasn't stomping around. He just, all right, cool. I'm going to go do what I got to do to, to win the next one. You know what I mean? It would, it's, like, it's weird. Like they would re, it would refocus them almost. You know what I mean? Instead of trying to make an excuse of what happened or whatnot, because that's, that's really easy to do. But he said, no, this is what happened. That's what I got to figure out. And that's what I'm going to work on. So it never happens again. You know what I mean? That's part of that mindset. You know what I mean? That's. Yeah, when when I was growing up, you know, you had the Lakers with Johnson and Kareem and all of mm-hmm. them. And look, I, I watched Michael Jordan take the winning shot in the '82 NCAA championship, mm-hmm. and he had James Worthy and Sam Perkins on that team, who both ended up with uh, LA. Mm-hmm. I mean, those teams were stacked back then, but nobody as great as all those other guys were. I don't think anybody has gone into that league with the mindset that Michael Jordan did and dominate it at six foot six at a guard position Mm -hmm. at both ends of the floor Yep, because he could beat you at both ends of the floor. And that to me is sure you've got, well, there he has records. You're never going to beat bill Russell too, but we're also talking about seven footers. Mm -hmm. So, and this guy did it at six foot six at the smallest position on the floor. So, well, that's my thing too. Like it's it was a it was a much more physical game back then too. Like if you watched yeah, the way they played, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean he, it was a definite. It was a different game set, and just like you said, I mean you had a lot of greats. Not saying that there weren't, but like like Kobe has that same mindset like Michael did. He does. You know what I mean, and and you could see it, and you could even see a lot of the same mannerisms, like with how he would shoot certain shots or different moves, like. You could almost like play side by side and be like, wait a minute, that's just that's like a different, you know, a mirror version almost. And that's, I think that's the character. Champions are built on their worst day, not on their great days. You know, I mean, you go and have a match or a game or anything, and you don't do good. If you go pouting and sobbing your feet, that doesn't gain respect from your teammates, your opponents, squad mates, coworkers, whoever it is, right? Like it's a, 
things happen. Either I just I wasn't the best person today, or the you know the timing was off, or this and that. It happens. You know, I mean, that's just a a part of life, and how you deal with that, and how you bounce back from that. I think creates somebody that's got a stronger mindset than somebody that will just go, oh well, that's just always going to happen. So when I see that again, I'm just okay with when that happens. Like so, if like if 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 the opposite would happen, they would almost be like shocked. If that makes sense, you know what I mean? Like, because it's like if if you're not trying to strive to be better, you're almost becoming content with where you are. So if you do do better, it's almost like you don't want to believe it. You know what I mean? Like it was just like a luck of the thing, or this just happened. You know what I mean? Like whereas, like those guys, they worked hard enough to where they wanted to find those little imperfections just so they can make better on them to be ahead of everybody else. You know what I mean? Just to try and stay to give them that little bit of the advantage that they had. Because it wasn't like it was an easy, easy league. You know what I mean? They had a lot nope. of great, great competition all through. So sure and that's, and that's just and part of overcome. it. Yeah. It's, it's and that's no even other than, sports. No different than Nils last year. What's that? It's no different than Nils last year. Mm-hmm. Nobody, nobody let Nils win. Nils had to go out and do that and win, you know, and chances are he will not do that again this year. And, yeah, and everything's temporary. You know what I mean? Like, Nils yeah. will even tell you, like, last year was a great year for him. To repeat that, that's stout. You know what I mean? That's a stout kind of yeah. – that's a stout thing to put in your head. You know what I mean? So that can really put a lot of stress on you to where just going, I'm going to keep working on the things that I've been improving on. I'm going to find the little things that I can keep doing. And just keep maintaining and hopefully gain that edge somewhere else because it's a, it, it, that's, I think that can screw people up a lot. You know, if you go in and go, oh, I'm going I'm to win this all, and then you don't, it's like, ooh, you know what I mean? But like he said, if he reflects on that and goes, that was a great year, what was I doing to allow me to have that great year? You know what I mean? That allows you to say, oh, well, I was doing this, I was doing that. You're giving yourself a good path and a great path to go off of, you know? And, mm-hmm. And that's for anybody. I mean, Max Michelle, Christian. I mean, look at Christian Seiler. That guy's a world champion. Yeah. You know I mean, like that. Talk about pressure. That's a whole different kind of pressure. There's a pressure just to win, right? But then there's a pressure of, like, once you're the guy. Yeah. You know I mean, like, you can either build off of that pressure and become just a monster, or it can eat you alive like a monster. You know what I mean? Because it's a, I got to go here and I got to do this. But that's a part of that self-image and confidence. You know what I mean? Like. Christian Seiler and those guys know they put the time and effort in to where, you know, I mean, they, that's kind of that like upper tier level thinking. Like if you're, and I'm not even there myself by any means, so I don't say it, but I'm just saying like from what I see with them, they know where they're at. Like Nils, that guy's been shooting how long? You know I mean? Like he knows what he needs to do, what he needs to do fundamentally and just perform. You know what I mean? And that's just the, I think that's the biggest key thing is just being able to, perform when you need to on demand at the level of skill set. Yep. Absolutely. It's 20 years of shooting right there. Competition. Same with Max. So yeah. I and even look at like, like uh, who's uh, Brantley Miriam. I mean, he was fourth last year at uh, carry optics nationals. I mean, and it was like, you know, it, it's really like it shows to where it's like, if you put the time and effort in, you'll be there. You know I mean? It's a, yeah, and like I said, I don't know Brantley, but like Rasmus, he did an awesome job. Those guys that were there, you know, what I mean, that's a stout crowd to be amongst. 
You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. it's a, some people might get upset and go, oh, man, but you know what? I mean, that's great company to be amongst. You know what I mean? that's That opens doors for a lot of different things, and and it, it just shows that the work pays off. You know what I mean? And that's that's just how it is sometimes. You know what I mean? That's, uh, yep. Well, Drew, that's what I've got. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on? Uh, no, I just wanted to kind of plug Greater Pittsburgh Gun Club. Um, just kind of okay. say... Uh, also D2 customs gun. My buddy Dan does great work both on anything from carry optics guns, to 2011s, 1911s, uh, super great guy. Goes a lot of matches. Um, Sigma arc works. That's the dude that built, uh, Ron Kiesel is the guy that built all the sliders that we have, the roller coaster stuff at greater Pittsburgh. Uh, he also does really nice like designs of metal artwork and stuff that are really cool. Um, yeah, Anderson shooting as well. Like I said, without Steve, he was a big help with everything. I know these are kind of like little senseless plugs, but I just kind of okay. just wanted to say thank you to those people because it's a, it's a big thing. Like I said, this is, this has been super fun, dude. I want to do it again. Yeah, absolutely. We will. Yeah. Cause dude, we got so many other there. topics that we could talk about. We could have <laughs> nine more we hours. Can't. <laughs> I know we didn't even get into the MMA stuff and we could have gone more on the basketball, but yeah. Well, that's great. Don't worry. Place. I got notes on that stuff too. So believe me, we got, <laughs> we got hours of good time ahead of us. We sure yeah. do. But, uh, are awesome. you going to CO Nats? At this point, uh, chances are no. No. Okay. Yeah. I'm still waitlisted. I just had surgery, uh, two weeks ago for a torn meniscus. So that's why I said I just got to the range. Yeah. I, I bought my rival S back in March and I just got it to the range. So I hear you. yeah, it's, uh, this year's pretty much out. So. Well, Hey, keep doing the things you're doing, man. I love the podcast. Like I said, I've been listening for a long time and, and the next time we got it, we got to get the old, the old crew on there. You got to get, you got to get Huggy Bear on there. I, I keep working them. I keep working them. I was just talking to Leo two days ago. Like got to get you back on. I'm going to have to call them both out and be like, come on, man. Got to get back on for one more shift. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, uh, Drew. Take care. Appreciate it's been fun, brother. Until next time. Don't be a little bitch. Yeah.